This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. Welcome back to All the Sins of Wisconsin. I'm Fallon, and I'm here with my co-host, Mims. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, just moved locations, and Fallon has been going really hard at getting our spot all beautiful and getting all the stuff up and running, so thank you. You're welcome. I'm so excited. we have room to move now. Oh my gosh, yeah. The <laughs> place we were at before, it was just like desk, chairs, us, and then that's it. Yeah, no room to breathe <laughs> no. or move anywhere. Right. So, yeah, we have a little bit more room now. Yep. It's coming together. Thanks. It's going to be fabulous. And when we get it all nice and perfect, maybe we'll make you guys a video. Ooh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that'll be fun. Okay. So, do you have any true crime news to share for the week? Um, so we seen that Gabby was, um, murdered by strangulation. So it has been declared like a homicide and that is the form of death. So that's pretty new. I think that was, I don't know when that was released. Sometime this week. I'm not sure what day it was either. Yeah. Um, still don't know where dude is at. So that's still a mystery. But Do you think he's just like hiding in the woods and his family's like bringing him rations or uh, whatever? Or because there's no way that he is going like unseen because ever his face is plastered everywhere. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody in America that doesn't know who he is. Exactly. So I think something he's being concealed in some way. Somebody's helping him in some way. Yeah, I think there's got to be somebody helping him too. And I don't like that. I don't like that either. <laughs> I was trying not to assume he was guilty just because I don't like to assume people are guilty, but right. strangulation is generally a domestic yeah. kind of homicide. Right, right. So we're not pointing fingers. No. It just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It looks worse every day. Yes, it does. Yeah. Other than that, I don't think I have anything. Do you have anything? No, I saw that they said that they solved the Zodiac murders, but then people were like, nah, they didn't. It was just like a group of people working on the case that they think that they solved it, but officially it mm. is not solved. And I don't know if people are familiar with Billy Jensen. Oh, he, yes. Yes, I love, love Billy Jensen. Yeah. <laughs> he said that he had worked on a show with some other people on a different case i think the db cooper case Mm. and that the person in charge of the show was trying to get them to say that they solved that too and it seems to be a lot of the same parties involved in this so Uh that's all on twitter i don't have any of the names or anything yeah yeah so i thought that was interesting but it's not officially solved so so i was really excited yeah i mean if we could solve that then we can solve anything because i i don't know how long has it been since it's been sitting there unsolved forever yeah. yeah like what 50 years yeah since it was the 60s right 60s 70s yeah. yeah yeah that would be amazing yeah i mean they they solved the golden state it, one, so. it can be done i mean even yeah. if it's even if this person has passed away i we still want to know right for sure yeah um how's your week it's been good busy yeah painting and yeah. Moving and... Very pink in here. <laughs> it's very pink. Yeah. I got the brightest pink I could find. You did. You did. And I'm, no, I'm not normally a pink person, but I actually kind of like it. And I like 
all of your little like decorations. So I think it's going to look really good. Thanks. I'm going to add some more like black gothic kind of decorations this time. I'm all for that. Yeah. I'm going to definitely bring in some goth. Yeah, so. let's do that. <laughs> like, I don't want, at first I wanted the walls to be black, but I'm like, it's going to feel really small. So oh yeah, I went with pink and then, yeah, we can make it witchier. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Um, I just went canoeing last weekend. Oh, that's fun. I love canoeing and I, it's, I think this is only like the second time I've been canoeing this year. Um, so it felt really good. It was just me and the hubby and our dog and he ended up taking a nap because he was so relaxed and he did really good. It was his first time. So. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I was really happy about that. It was a good day. Yeah. He didn't want to jump out. No, I thought he. so good. I was really afraid because I'm like, he, I don't know how he's going to react. So he might want to jump out or he like might want to like lick the water because he'll get thirsty or whatever and he'll like dump us but no he was really really good that's awesome yeah i tried to take my chihuahua kayaking one time and it didn't go well he's freaking out and trying to jump out the (laughs) entire time at least i had to keep putting the paddle down to like hold him so that i kept going farther away from where i was trying to go oh geez yeah don't take chihuahuas kayaking that's rule number 96 (laughs) we have a lot of rules for you guys (laughs) oh man i for some reason did not know that you had a chihuahua i wouldn't have pegged you as a chihuahua i have two you have two chihuahuas yeah i have one that is big he's 15 pounds and he's very hyper and then I have one that's five pounds, and he's, like, a grumpy old man. <laughs> oh but he gosh. always walks like he's on a runway. Oh. But he only likes me. Oh. He hates everyone else in the entire world. <laughs> so, yeah. That's usually how chihuahuas are. They pick a person, and they're, like, nobody else. Yeah. My big one, he likes other people, but not people outside our house. He likes everybody in the house. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, they're very, like territorial and like family oriented dogs Mm -hmm. yeah they don't even like the wind blowing outside (laughs) yeah then you got my 70 pound dog who is just like hey man i'm here i want snuggles (laughs) that's it (laughs) that's so cute yeah (laughs) all right do you want to dive in yeah let's do it okay i'm doing the milwaukee north side strangler Ooh. I never heard of this before, so I'm excited to go into it. I'm not going to have a lot of details on the specific women that were murdered. Uh, I didn't find a lot, but everything that I did find, I packed it all in. So I'm giving you the full rundown of everything that's out there. Okay. Okay. On October 10th, 1986, Deborah Harris, who was 31 years old, was found in the Menominee River. Um, Her cause of death was strangulation. On November 28th, 1992, Irene Smith was found strangled and brutally stabbed at the location of 3028 North Street or 7th Street. Are you familiar with um the north side of milwaukee yeah okay so maybe some of these addresses will ring a bell i'm not really so none of these rang a bell for me on october 13th 1994 karen kilpatrick was found strangled and stabbed at the location of 3025 north 6th street Uh, Curtis McCoy, Karen's boyfriend, was originally charged in October 1994 for her murder, but he was later acquitted by a jury, leaving her case cold. Oh, wow. On April 24th, 1995, Florence McCormick, age 28, was found in a basement in a vacant home at 16, oh, I'm sorry, 618 West Locust Street. Uh, discovered by workers doing repairs, um, her cause of death was strangulation as well. On June 27th, 1995, Sheila Farrier, age 37, was discovered in a uh, vacant home at 1442 West Chambers Street by a remodeling contractor. Her cause of death was also strangulation. On August 30th, 19, 
95, Jessica Payne um, ran away from home and was found in another vacant home at 3116 North 7th Street. Her cause of death was a massive wound as her throat was slashed. Uh, Chanti Ott was originally convicted. Oh, my mic is doing some weird things. It's probably better. <laughs> it was, oh, yeah. It was moving on you. Yeah. Um, where was I? Okay, so Chanti Ott was originally convicted of killing Jessica Payne. Uh, Chanti served 13 years in prison before he was released in January after a DNA analysis showed semen found on Jessica's bodies was not his. He served 13 years. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. On June 20th, 1997, Detective Gordon Bradley from the Homicide Division of the Milwaukee Police Department was dispatched to 2940, yeah, 2940 North 5th Street. There, he found Joyce Mims, and I'm like, Mims? Aw. That's me. Um, age 41, she was naked except for her white socks, and she was on the second floor in a small closet area of the residence. Uh, Detective Bradley noticed bruising on the right side of her face and along her jaw. The body was later confirmed to indeed be Joyce Mims by a neighborhood friend, Patricia Wilson. Joyce was then transferred to the Milwaukee Medical Examiner's Office for her autopsy, which was conducted by Dr. Tagats, I'm going to say. Um, and it was observed by Detective Gary Temp. The autopsy confirmed that her cause of death was from asphyxiation. Oh my God. Help me out here. Asphyxiation? Yes. Um, due to manual strangulation. She also suffered multiple abrasions, contusions to the neck, hemorrhaging along the neck, muscles, a fracture to her left hide bone. I think that's a hyoide. Hyoid. Hyoid? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I'm struggling so hard. (laughs) Um, um, Bone in the neck, and then I'm also going to struggle with this one too. Petechia in the eyes and eyelids, meaning tiny, round, brown-purple spots due to bleeding under the skin. A rape kit was also conducted, and the results were sent to the City of Milwaukee Police Department Property Bureau. She was last seen by her family walking down her street. On April 27, 2007, two citizens and the city inspector called in a disturbing scene in another vacant boarded-up residence. Homicide detective Charles Mueller was dispatched to 3128 North 7th Street and found... I really want to get her name right. Oh, okay. I'm turning it around. What do you think the pronunciation of that name? Oh, that's that half one. Yeah. Um. I don't really know. Okay, so I'm gonna call her Miss Stokes. Let's yeah. do that. She was 28, and she was lying on her back in the middle of the living room. Her jacket and shirt were pulled up above her chest. One leg was out of her blue jeans, leaving it partially off, and her underwear had been ripped off. Miss Stokes followed our rural number 15 and had pepper spray laying next to her, covered in blood. So I believe she was, yeah, I believe she was trying to use it, but it wasn't successful. Uh, Her body was then transferred to the Milwaukee County Medical Examiner's Office the following day, and an autopsy was conducted by Dr. Hess. He found multiple abrasions and contusions to her face, mouth, and neck, along with petechial hemorrhaging and pulmonary edema, meaning excess fluid in the lungs. So I'm assuming that was from blood. Probably. Which makes me really sad, because it's like you're dying from obviously getting you know strangled and hurt but your <laughs> your body's internally struggling as well yeah dr hess has determined that mrs miss stokes died due to manual strangulation a task force was formed of local state and federal law enforcement um 
and dedicated to investigating the links between the homicides. Uh, they right off the bat figured out that they all had to be linked. Um, mm-hmm. It was not just the one-off. One person was getting killed by a random person. They knew that they had somebody that was doing all of these. I wonder what the key was for them realizing like this is the same person i think so this was all the target was african-american women Mm -hmm. and it was all in like a really close vicinity yeah that's true it was all like the same neighborhood basically so that they had a pattern and that's what established it i believe so there was that um During the first three months of the investigation, the task force received 193 tips. Some tips led to suspects being interviewed, but in the the end, they were all ruled out. So it didn't really amount to anything. Um, They found that due to all of the murdered women, which is what I just said, um, a pattern was formed. And the victims were all African-American women except one which was Jessica Payne. She was the youngest, and she was white. Okay. Um, And the ages were ranging from 19 to 41. So it wasn't really a pattern for that, but, you know. They were all adults, though. Yeah, they were all adults. Yeah. They were, they, from what I read, they kind of, in some way, either knew the person or they, like, seen him around so Mm -hmm. i think that there wasn't like he wasn't a stranger to them either okay um investigators ran the dna profile collected at the scenes of each murder in the dna national database databases but did not receive any hits um eventually a connection was made and it brought them to one undeniable suspect on august 29th 2009 detective keith kopcha and another Milwaukee police officer executed a search warrant for Walter Earl Ellis at the residence of Tressie Johnson at 2827A West Bobolink Avenue. The police searched the residence and couldn't locate Walter, but they did collect a toothbrush and a razor from the bathroom after Tressie stated it was Walter's. There was a massive investigation into the killings linked by Walter's DNA, which included retesting of DNA samples through the Casework Index DNA databank. In May 2010, Walter Walter's DNA was matched to the 1998 murder of Moretta Griffin. Um, William Avery had been convicted of her murder in 2005, and thank- thankfully, the wrong man, William... Uh, was exonerated and released, and his case was declared a miscarriage of justice. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so At I'm least gonna, he eventually got out. That's such a long time. I know, but in, it's crazy to me that there's so many people that are sitting there that didn't do it, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, oops, like, yeah. we fucked up. I'm sorry, you get to go now. Right. So, um... I'm going to go into the background of Walter. So Walter Earl Ellis was born on June 24th, 1960 in Holmes County, Mississippi. He was known as uh, the Milwaukee Northside Strangler due to the terror he brought to that Milwaukee area. Uh, He was born to Leroy and Maddie Ellis along with five other siblings. Leroy and Maddie relocated the family in the mid-60s to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Growing up, he showed early... Yeah. Growing up, he showed early signs that he was going to be trouble. He displayed antisocial behavior and was known as a local bully for impulsively and aggressively assaulting classmates and the neighborhood children. Uh, Viviana Jordan, a former childhood neighbor of Walter Ellis, was quoted stating he had the capability of so she made that um like an explosion noise and then she said for no reason he was troubled then and then he's troubled now she even stated that she had to take the long way home to avoid the ellis residence and if she had to go by their house she would run really fast 
Oh, wow. Um, in 1974, he dropped out of school during the eighth grade due to poor academic performance and being absent all the time. At the young age of um, being in the eighth grade, so how old are you at that point? 13, 14. So around that age, um, his life turned for the worse as he started his life of crime. At the age of 14... Uh, Walter was arrested for robbery and attempted murder. However, he was let go and a large fine, um, was the only thing that he received as he was a minor. And I'm still kind of baffled by that because yes, he's a minor, but attempted murder isn't a light crime. So yeah, the rules were different back then is like they were really lax. Then they got super strict. Now they're kind of... In the middle-ish, depending on... I guess it kind of depends on who your judge is and where you go now, too. Right. Yeah. Because mm. for a while, they're just like, everyone is an adult. You're all going to prison. <laughs> Even and before that, it was like, here, have a ticket. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the pattern. Um, in this case, um, lots of slaps on the wrists. Mm. So we'll get into that. Um, in 1978, he was arrested for robbery and pled guilty and was given four years of probation. Uh, in 1979, Walter was arrested for possession of drugs, but only had to pay a fine due to him being able to prove that it was provided to him from a prescription. However, it was sold to him without a prescription. So that was a little confusing. But essentially, he didn't, it didn't really amount to anything. Okay. Um, in 1980, he tried to become a pimp. However, he was not winning favor in the pe- with the people in this lifestyle as he got into fights with the local pimps and prostitutes and was later arrested. Are we saying prostitutes? Is there a different word? Sex worker. Sex worker. Um, and was later arrested and charged with extortion. But like all of his other crimes, the punishments for this one was nothing um, as he later was released due to lack of evidence. Oh, wow. He gets away with a lot. It pisses me off. It really does because we're gonna we're gonna see here that it's year after year after mm-hmm. year. If you guys take a look at the years, it's every single year he's doing something, and every single year he gets let off. Yep, that's how it usually goes in these cases. <sighs> Let's get better. Yes. In 1985, when he was released from prison due to other various crimes and afterwards, Walter apparently attempted to find a regular paying job as a day laborer. Um, He couldn't manage being a normal person living in society for very long and was later charged with extortion that same year. But the charges were later dropped when the prosecution learned that the witness was a sex worker which apparently meant that Walter should be released just because of her line of work, which is bullshit, because how is the credibility of a long-time offender, how does that supersede just because a woman has that type of job? Well, I mean, women are always suspect to begin with, right? Everything we say. Right. (laughs) We're not to be trusted. Definitely Uh, not. (laughs) Just because you're somebody's a sex worker that doesn't automatically make them a liar or a bad person i mean do you do you go and see strippers yeah it's the same concept so Mm -hmm. what's the big deal i don't know what how they equate that with lying but yeah exactly like they don't they're not credible for that but why or the prosecution just didn't really care (sighs) everything pisses me off yeah, um, that's why we have this podcast, so we can tell you about all the things that piss us off. Yep. Uh, in 1986, Walter was arrested for disturbing public order. His dumbass attacked a police officer and was arrested and was ordered to spend the next seven months in jail. Seven fucking months. That's I'm it. surprised they didn't get him for that one. For assaulting an officer? Right. Yeah, and like, not to stir anything up but he's an african-american man who an assault who assaulted an officer so i and this was in 1986 so i would i would have thought that they would have nailed him for that but they would now yeah i mean like a hundred (laughs) years 
And I wouldn't be mad about this one being 100 years because... Well, I mean, if this is like your 95th crime in three years... It's, yeah, it's we have, baffling. We have free Peter Laws now. I don't even know what that is. What is that? If you commit, like, your third misdemeanor, you're a repeater. Okay. So then you get automatically, you just get more time for anything that you do, no matter how minor it is. You oh. have enhanced sentencing. Okay. Yeah. I love that, actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, in 1987, he was rearrested again for theft and sent back to prison for a year, but released on parole after only serving nine months. Uh, in 1988, he was caught attempting uh, a carjacking and ended up injuring the arresting officer. Uh, Walter was sentenced to two years. So he'd just be, like, doing whatever he wants. He really is. <laughs> like, what kind of luck does he have on I his don't, side? I don't know. And I hate to say it, but it's just he gets slaps on the wrist. And I think that's what made him feel like... He can do whatever he wants. I'm sorry, you guys. If it sounds like I'm really far away, my mic keeps, like, <laughs> dropping. So I'm sorry about that. Um, but, yeah, I feel like that just creates, like, uh, a mentality that he can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't mind sitting in prison for two years. Yeah. Because he'll be out because that's what they taught him. Yeah, and then he can just do, like, 95 other things the next week when he gets out. Ludicrous. It is. In 1990, Walter took part in a drug trafficking ring called the Brothers of the Struggle. He was later arrested for drug distribution and convicted in November 1990. In 1992, he was released, but only to return to prison for violating the conditions of his parole. Because of this, he was ordered to enter a rehabilitation program and lived in a halfway house where prisoners were allowed several freedoms, like leaving for a job and church-related activities. I even believe he had a phone, too, so... Wow. That was just crazy. Walter was arrested for leaving the halfway house without permission, but received no punishment after he told the police about the corruption. Um, And even after year after year after year being arrested and having run-ins with the law, he managed to become a police informant for several years. See, I was wondering if he had some kind of, like, secret deal going on with them that they kept letting him slide. It wasn't until this point, though. So before it was luck, and now it's stupidity of... Yeah. Well, he could have been working with them secretly. Like I guess so. They don't always put it on the books and do it properly. <sighs> I know we like to believe they're all upstanding. No. Nope. Officers. No. Nope. <laughs> we don't. I'm going to say that. it right now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Some people listening might think that. Yeah. I mean, we're going to upset you eventually. <laughs> we might have well already. We, today. <laughs> yeah. We might have already upset you, but I'm not going to. Episode six. We are no longer hiding anything. <laughs> Uh, okay. If you didn't know, police officers are just people. Yeah. And they make the same mistakes as the rest of us. A badge doesn't make you holy. Oh, I love that. A badge <laughs> does not make you holy. Okay. So, no surprise, uh, Walter, did I? Uh, repeatedly violated the conditions of his parole, but kept avoiding criminal consequences due to being an informant. In 1994 and, and 1995, he was repeatedly arrested for attacking his girlfriend and even injured one of them with a screwdriver. Oh, wow. This guy. I'm like, oh, but you're going to tell us about drugs and we care more about drugs than people. So. Right. And carjacking and assaulting officers and yeah. stealing and everything else, you know, doesn't matter as long as you tell me what's going on in the drug world. Makes no sense. No. Uh, in 1997, he was arrested for attempted robbery and assaulted the arresting officer yet again, to which he was only sentenced to five and a half years of probation. Um, in 1998, he was sentenced to three years for reckless endangerment at Oshkosh Correctional Institution, but, but was released in 2001 after only serving three years. Uh, during his other crimes, he veered towards a different, more heinous path. His violence bled into all circles of his life, including his sexual and love lives. 
He was coined the Milwaukee Northside Strangler for all of the other murderous crimes that he was committing at the same time. Um, an arrest warrant was officially issued for Walter Ellis. The description of his car went out and the following day was spotted. Walter was then surrounded by police and even struggled before being fully detained, which does not surprise me. No. He was not going to go without a fight. Mm-mm. After a 21-year uh, reign of terror on the city of Milwaukee on February 20... Did I just say... No. February 25th, 2011, Walter Earl Ellis was convicted by DNA hits that were left on the bodies of his victims and at the scenes of the crimes. So that's what made Until him get 2011, caught. 2011, he well, was we're, out We're going to get to that because that's a whole can of worms that I was super pissed off about reading all this. So we'll get there. Okay. His criminal complaint lists count one for... Oh, Count one, first degree intentional homicide, a class A felony for the murder of Joyce Mims, who was actually the girlfriend of his uncle. Uh, And count two, first degree intentional homicide, a class A felony for Miss Stokes. Walter was initially charged with two counts of first degree intentional homicide and held on $1 million bail. The Milwaukee County DA's office later filed five new murder charges against him, three of intentional homicide and two under the previous statute of first-degree murder. On February 24, 2011, Walter accepted a plea deal agreement admitting admitting, uh, his guilt and petitioning for his sentence without trial, which I could laugh at, but whatever. The plea was accepted by the victim's families and Judge Dennis Kimple imposed the seven consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. So finally he got what he deserved for Good. everything. We all added up so he can stay. Right. Yeah. Uh, Walter sat in his chair unfazed by all of the statements made by friends and families of the victims. And while uh, his sentencing was read out by the judge, Walter never spoke and never gave an explanation on why he did what he did. I think you kind of don't need an explanation. Yeah. He's, he was a fucked up person. Mm-hmm. Um, he had no regard for anything. He was taught that he can do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And he was doing that since he was a kid. So there's that. Yeah. Um. Monsa Miller, the brother of the victim, Tanya Miller, said Walter got the sentence he deserved and, quote, I pray for him to do what he has to do with his life to make himself a better person. I'm like, wow, you're such a good person for saying, like, I hope you get better. Yeah, there's no getting better, though, for him. No. The judge also stated, of any way to kill somebody, that's probably the most despicable way to do it. You look at them and you literally choke their lives away. Mm-hmm. Which is true. Walter was transferred to South Dakota State Penitentiary in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, as it was arranged uh, between Wisconsin and South Dakota before. Um, I don't know why, but something must have happened there for them to want him to. Yeah. Walter soon started experiencing uh, health issues and was transferred to a prison hospital and was diagnosed with diabetes. On December 1st, 2013, only after serving three years of his life sentence, Walter passed away at age 53, cheating the system for the very last time. Um, That's ridiculous. Only He only had to three serve three years. years. So they just let him just run around. Killing people, breaking the law, yes. fighting the police. Yes. And then he did three Assaulting years. his girlfriends, uh, strangling these poor women. I I have no words. I would be so angry. The people that got wrongfully accused for his crimes did more time than he did. Oh. That just haunts me. That haunts me. It's messed up. Our system sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So... I believe that two good things came from the nightmare Walter brought on the north side of of Milwaukee. 
Number one, the sentencing finally brought closure to a deadly rampage from 1986 to 2007. Uh, the investigations on Walter's case eventually forced to, uh, a complete review of the mishandling of DNA procedures. Walter, Walter's case exposed flaws in the state's process for collecting DNA for convicted felons. The case prompted a statewide audit, which found nearly 17,700 offender sample missing from crime lab databases. 17,000. Where are these, where were these samples? Just ne- never collected. Never collected ever. Um, retesting of DNA samples from dozens of unsolved murders led to, uh, hits in at least 10 unrelated cases and even suspects have been charged in two of those unsolved cases. The retesting led to the arrest of David Lewis, who was charged with first-degree reckless homicide in connection with the 1990 strangulation of 45-year-old Vernal Judder, and William Phillips, who was charged with first-degree intentional homicide in connection with the 1990 death of 26-year-old Rhonda Hartwright, who was killed by a shotgun blast to her face. Uh, Walter never submitted his DNA, not once, not one time that he was arrested and booked. If a DNA sample was taken from Walter from the start of his criminal life, from the moment that he committed his first offense, he could have saved, it could have saved all those lives. Yeah. It could have prevented the horror that his victims faced during their last living moments. Although these women died tragically, they did not die in vain. They exposed the faults that the system has, um, which were corrected. It solved two, at least two yeah. murders that happened. It, it brought so much to light. Yeah. So now in Wisconsin, even misdemeanor convictions, um, you have to give a DNA sample. As you, sh- as you should. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing something, you need to be, everybody needs to fully know that it's you. Yeah. Um, so that's my case. The Milwaukee Northside Strangler. Very good job. Thank you. Thank you. I am talking about another Madison case today. Ooh, give it to me. <laughs> It is a case of Kelly Nolan. So today I'm going to discuss the unsolved homicide of Kelly Nolan. So if anybody does have any information, contact the Madison Police Department. Yes, please do. Yeah, please. Even though we don't love them, some of them have to be good, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to start with a little background information. At the time of her disappearance, Kelly was 22 years old and was a student at UW-Whitewater. She was originally from a small town called Wanakee, which is about 15 minutes outside of Madison. It's basically like a suburb of Madison. Kind of like how Wauwatosa is the same. It's like the suburb of Milwaukee. Yeah, like that. She had decided to spend the summer in downtown Madison because she loved being in the city. And she had sublet an efficiency apartment on Mifflin Street and was working at a, as a waitress. So she had been working at the Orpheum Theater in the Madison Club. However, she had been let go from the Orpheum Theater due to a lack of experience. Um, there's been some debate over whether this was the real reason that she was let go. But knowing how busy it is there in Madison, like at the Orpheum Theater... I would guess she simply wasn't keeping up with the high-intensity environment. Right. It's like when you look on the Reddit boards, people are like, they don't let waitresses go for inexperience. Like, if you're at a high-paced restaurant Mm -hmm. and you're slow, they will definitely let you go. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So her coworkers described her as very responsible and always on time. Now, depending on which source you gather your information from, there are very different stories about Kelly, which I think happens in a lot of homicide cases. Mm -hmm. Like, people tell you one thing. or They tell you all the good things because they don't want to talk bad about people when they're gone. Yeah. But sometimes, like, the things that are going wrong are important. Absolutely. Everything 
could lead to something, even if it's small. Yeah. And I think you just paint this picture that's not reality. It throws people off of the truth sometimes, right. too. Like if she's an avid drug abuser, you know, that could help yeah. with, you know, conclusions. But yeah. So it seems like news outlets be away from discussing when people have problems with substances like alcohol or drugs. And like I said, I understand not wanting to paint missing or murdered people in a certain light, but it limits our understanding of their lives so much. Mm. And it also makes it seem like no one would care about these people if they had any kind of less than perfect behavior in their background. Right. Which I don't believe to be true because no one is perfect. No. And I think we need to stop pretending people are. Right. So that's my rant about that today. I like the rant. (laughs) (laughs) So according to the Reddit thread I reviewed in this case, Kelly was struggling with drinking, which I think a lot of college students do. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, I Especially in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's really normal. It's kind of the culture. Yeah. So I confirmed through public records that she did receive a second OWI offense on December 20th, 2006, which she ended up sitting 14 days in Walworth County Jail for, and she did have her license suspended. It seems like she was going through a lot around this time. She had lost her father about a year before her death, and then she lost her stepmom just a month before her own death. Oh, geez. That's a lot. And I don't think drinking is a great coping mechanism, but I definitely understand how she got to be in that state. Like, yeah. you're losing the people that are really important to you yeah. while trying to go to college. Oh, gee. Yeah, that's really heavy. Yeah. So now let's get into the night of her disappearance. Kelly had been out with friends on the evening of June 23rd, 2007. The group was hanging out on State Street, a popular area to hang out in Madison. Sometime that night, different reports say different times. I've seen 11.30, 12, and 2 o'clock for these times. Her friends decide that they're ready to call it a night. They're like, I'm done. Let's go. And she's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And we have all been there. Yeah. Everybody's like, okay, it's time to call it a night. And you're like, no. Yeah, I've been there. (laughs) My night just started. (laughs) Two in the morning. Oh, my gosh. It's only two. We can still do stuff. So I think it was probably like the 11, 30, 12 o'clock time that her friends wanted to leave. Not two, but some pe- some of the reports said two. Okay. So when you're going back, you know, 10, 15 years, people's timelines vary. <laughs> yeah. And so she said she was just going to stay on straight State Street and she would walk home later. She didn't live far from there. So sometime that evening or night, I should say, Kelly's sister, April, t- talked to Kelly on the phone They haven't ever said what the contents of this conversation were, but they just thought that April did talk to her that night after her friends left her. But then on Saturday, Kelly's family became concerned because they hadn't heard from her and they were expecting to. Mm -hmm. So her sister's like, yeah, she hasn't called me back. She's supposed to call me in the morning. Whatever they had planned to do, she didn't talk to anybody on Saturday. So by Sunday... Her family was ready to take action. Like They weren't playing any games with this. Right. I wouldn't play games either. Yeah. Some people do, though. <laughs> I'm going to question you if you're playing games. <laughs> We're questioning everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so they went to the Madison Police Department and reported her missing right away on Sunday. And then they began contacting anyone who might have been in touch with Kelly They printed and distributed flyers in Madison, Wanakee, and on the Whitewater campus. Her family even went to local businesses to try and obtain surveillance footage, hoping to be able to track her movements through the night. Wow. Yes. They were really on it. Yes. They didn't have much luck with this search, but they were able to find a video of her leaving the lava lounge at 2 a.m. with a man. So... Later, that man, Andrew, would come forward to the media and police and tell them he was the man who had walked out of the bar with Kelly. Okay. Like, he saw them talking about it on TV, and he's like, oh, wait a minute, before I become a suspect, hey. Oh, well, that's smart. Yes, he was Good smart. for you, guy. Yes. <laughs> he's like, yep, I walked out of the bar with her. 
And so before I get too far into this part, I want to make sure everyone knows he was cleared by authorities. He right away is submitted to a lie detector test, a DNA test, and searches to his home and vehicle. I don't really recommend that people do all that without an attorney, but I'm glad he was cleared right away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just like, search everything. I have nothing to hide. Yeah. <laughs> Which luckily he really didn't have no, anything he, to hide. Yeah, he was good. <laughs> he was good. <laughs> so Andrew's boss... At Amy's Cafe, which was also on State Street, Tom Paris confirms that Andrew said he would walk Kelly home that night because there was a man inside the lava lounge that had been making her uncomfortable. Mm. But then this is where the story gets a little confusing. So at some point on their walk home, Kelly ran into someone else she knew and decided to walk the rest of the way home with him. And various reports have this happening at a different time. One report makes it sound like the man who ended up walking her home was the same one that was making her uncomfortable in the bar. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. No, I was like, this is really weird. Yeah. And other reports make it sound like it was like they were halfway to her apartment and they bumped into somebody on the street, which it's like that in Madison at Mm. bar time, especially if it's, you know, warm weather. Right. And this was June, so people were probably just, like, milling about. Sure. So it wouldn't be weird for her to run into somebody else she knew. That seems more logical to me than it being the same man from inside the bar. But who knows? Right. Drunk people do weird things. Yeah. As I mean, I take off my shoes in public places, so. (laughs) (laughs) I've done that, too. (laughs) So Tom goes on to say he's sure that Andrew regrets the decision to leave her with this new person but everyone was really intoxicated and And you don't think about that no and no one besides the killer is responsible for what happened absolutely if he happens to listen to this i don't think he should feel bad no please don't feel bad so at this point all that's known for sure is that kelly was walking home with andrew and then began walking with an unidentified man However, she would never make it back to her Mifflin Street apartment. And two weeks after her disappearance, her body was found in a wooden area near Schneider Road off County Road MM in the town of Dunn. This address is also reported as 4724 Schneider Road in Oregon, Wisconsin. I always thought it was Oregon, Wisconsin, but they call it the town of Dunn, so it must just be like right next to each other yeah because it's the same place on the map so it might be one of those things like you know how cities here will have like these little towns um yeah okay i i actually can relate because hortonville has like a little town that's stevensville yeah exactly it's literally hortonville so i definitely get that yeah it's a weird thing we do in Wisconsin for no apparent reason. We need many towns in towns that are already small. <laughs> already so small. Like we make them many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So where is Dunn then? It's just in Oregon, basically. It's the same address. No, I mean like where oh, is Oregon it? is um it's about ten miles from where Kelly was last seen. Okay. So it's about ten miles from Madison. Oh, okay. And so you not can that take far. one of the main streets out of Madison. Mm-hmm. I think it's park that you take okay. and it goes straight to Oregon. Oh, okay. So yeah, it wasn't like a like ducked off location necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people in the area would know how to get there. Okay. And I'm pretty sure I couldn't find any confirmation on this because there was they didn't share the story anymore. But I remember this happening because one of my best friends lived in Oregon Mm -hmm. and there was a girl that had been reported missing besides Kelly, somebody else. Okay, I think she was a UW student, UW Madison student. She was reported missing and they were doing like this huge extensive search for her for days. Yeah. And I think that's when they found Kelly. And then the other girl had been faking that she was missing because oh. she just needed a break. No, don't yeah. do that to people. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's how they found her because I remember it, but I can't find any stories about the girl pretending to be missing. Oh, jeez. Because I was trying to find her name. <laughs> yeah, what a really bad thing to do to people that care about you. 
Yeah, and the police, and I think they were going to make her pay them back for the search and all of that because I, they were so angry. I, I would be extremely angry. Like, we literally searched for you. Mm-hmm. We put all this manpower behind yep, thinking that... Volunteers. You, yeah, and- thinking that you are not okay, and obviously that causes stress as well, so... Yeah. That's just not okay. Don't no. don't go around doing that. No, if you need a break, just be honest. Right. Say, I need a minute. I'm going to... I have boundaries. Yes. Boundaries are good. Right. And I'm going to go drink my ties at the beach like because yeah. I want to. Yeah. Or I'm just going to stay in my apartment and not talk to you guys. Right. Like, you don't have to explain yourself. You just be like, I need a break. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to pretend to be missing. Yeah. That's a whole... That's a it's whole a thing. Yeah. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine life got better after that. <laughs> right? Like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's what, such a valid point. It's like, not only did you have hard things going on, but now you've worsened your situation. Yeah, like, you did not gain anything from this <laughs> at all. People's logic really baffles me sometimes. Mine, too, because people are so scared to just say... I need a break. Right. Or like... I don't feel like freaking talking to you today. Yeah. (laughs) Or just ignoring messages. Right. You can ignore your phone sometimes. Yeah. That's perfectly okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's our self-care advice for today. Yep. (laughs) We got all sorts of advice and... We do. (laughs) Things we're spewing (laughs) off. (laughs) It's okay to have boundaries. Yep. Boundaries. is important. Yes. The police don't have to be trusted. (laughs) (laughs) Know your red flags. There's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Kelly is found. Pretty sure that she was found by volunteers during this search. Right. But they don't talk about that part. <laughs> but when she is found, little information is released at the time. Because, you know, like I talked about last week, if you listened, the Madison police like to keep secrets. Mm, it's yep. their thing. And this was around the same time as my murder from last week. When they were saying, like, there had been numerous murders going on, there was, like, five or six around the same time period, and this was one of the other ones. Okay. So they also were withholding information in this case. But they kept the scene secured. They did not move her for hours. They called in forensic entomologists who study insect activity to try to nail down the timeline. Oh, I I love that. It's like, call in the bug guys. <laughs> no, I always used to think they only did that on TV, but... No, they... Apparently they do that in Madison. Yeah, they're like, I got a bug guy, don't worry. I guess. It is Madison. There's a lot of smart people there. <laughs> <laughs> From the UW. Yeah. <laughs> so... They try to figure out what her timeline was because it's been two weeks now since she's been missing. Okay. But this was 2007. They didn't release her official cause of death until 2014. Talk about keeping secrets. Wow, for like no reason. Yeah. At the time, they come out and report the cause of death as homicidal violence, specifically blunt force trauma to the torso. Have you ever heard of that before? I I was literally, the words, you just took them out of my mouth. Yeah, I was like... I've never heard of homicidal violence. It's usually just homicide due to whatever. Right. And blunt force trauma to the torso. It's usually the head. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah. So, it sounded odd to me, too. Yeah. So, I had to look, like, what could this be caused by? Yeah. And what I came up with is being hit by a car. Okay. A fall from a window or a balcony, and then you, like, fall onto something. Like, if you fall from oh. a balcony and then fall, like, over something right. that could happen. Because right. I guess that's – some people on Reddit had witnessed people falling from balconies drunk and oh. landing on something and having, like – they didn't die, being but they had punctured. the internal injuries. Yeah. Yeah, because they're not saying there's any punctures or anything, just – Okay. Like organ damage, I would assume. Right. Yeah. So most of the, or you could get hit in the torso with an object, like a bat or something like that. Most of the people that looked into the case tend to agree that from the information being released that being hit by a car was the most likely scenario. Okay. But there's a lot of speculation on the totality of the crime because it seems like with all of the secrets, some people have heard that she was assaulted. They're not sure if it was she was assaulted before she was hit 
or she was hit and then assaulted. Okay. People, so people make up a lot of things. Like maybe she was assaulted and she tried to run away mm-hmm. and then they just hit her with the car. Right. Or because people wanted to believe it was a hit and run. Like she was drinking, she was walking, right. somebody could have hit her and then they panicked and moved her. Yeah. But for some reason, people think that there was a, some kind of assault involved as well. But did you find anything that led no more information but all the people on reddit were talking about it like they knew something about it so i don't know if it's just like a news story that's buried somewhere right because the farther out you go the harder it is to find the articles Uh, right yeah so i don't know and as we've seen in the other cases the police report the case will be solved soon no no you gotta give me more than that yeah but 14 years has passed, and it doesn't seem like anyone is any closer to finding answers. They said that 14 years ago. It will be solved. What is your definition of soon, sir? Nobody knows. <laughs> my God. When somebody tells them what happened. <laughs> my, my version of soon is maybe tomorrow. That's soon. Yeah. Like the end of the month. Like, I'll give you two weeks. That's also soon. Yeah. Not 14, 14 years. whole ass years. No. And for them to wait seven years to release the cause of death, I I don't know if they wanted somebody to come forward and say, like, I really need to confess this was an accident and I hit her or something. I could see and that. And then not tell them, like, we know there was more to it than that. Right. But apparently that's not happening. But I feel like somebody has to know because everybody talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never seen a killer that doesn't talk. Right, yeah. So somebody knows. Yeah, somebody knows something, um, maybe seen something. Mm-hmm. Somebody had a car and then they didn't. Right, <laughs> right. They had yeah. a big dent. Yeah. If you just worked on a car 14 years ago that had a huge dent the size of a body. Yeah. Maybe look into that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, so that is the unsolved murder of Kelly Nolan. So if anybody has information, you can contact the Madison Police Department. Yeah. Good job. So they can solve it soon. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. You got anything else? Um, I was going to say two things. Um, I got one really lovely phone call from my friend. I was um, working, actually, and I stepped out, and I was like, oh, God, there's got to be, like, something horrible going on because she doesn't ever really call me yeah and um she did and she's like my cousin just called and i'm like okay and she goes she loves your podcast and i'm like oh okay well that's great i didn't think that that conversation was gonna go that way (laughs) but oh so that was really sweet i love that my friend also texted me and she goes i'm at the gym i'm working out i'm really sad it was only I think her last episode was only like 40 or 50 minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I seen that too. I am going to work on a longer story for next week. So don't lose hope. But she was just so giving me all this love. Well, us love. So I wanted to say thank you to Kaylin and say thank you to Alexis. I love that. Yeah. I'm glad people are enjoying our podcast. Me too. So if you love us, we love to hear about it. Yeah, I love random phone calls and texts and um, Review us on Apple now. Yes. Because that is how we get people to find us. We need reviewers saying how much you love us, Mm -hmm. and then they'll show our podcast to more people, and then we can grow and keep sharing more and more and more and Mm -hmm. hopefully help yeah. Some of these cases get more exposure. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's really no reason why we don't know about all these different cases, especially a strangler that was going around doing that for 21 years. And I had no knowledge of about it until recently. So it's mm-hmm. kind of baffling. Because the news in Wisconsin shares like the most random like feel-good stories and not any freaking news. Right, right. Or it's like covered lightly and then on to something else that is packer related or weather related we'll talk about aaron Rodgers for three hours (laughs) and then give you like a 15 second snippet like there's been seven murders (laughs) goodbye goodbye
Okay, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> right, Aaron Rodgers. Um, so, yeah, there is a stars system there. You can give us five stars if you love us. Um, write a review. Subscribe. Yeah. Share. Yeah. Do all the things. Do if all you, the things. If you want to. We would appreciate that. Yep. Follow us on Instagram. Oh, yeah. And then follow us on Facebook as well. Um, and then I, we hope that you keep listening. Yeah. We love you guys. Love you. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. All the Sins of Wisconsin was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Fallon and Mims. Thank you so much to all of our listeners, supporters, friends, and family that continually allow us to do what we love. If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we we love you. you.